Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caring Bar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Yesterday was the run to restore. If you're uh, part of the event yesterday, it was a wonderful time, uh, running and walking the 10-kilometer uh, track and um, for raising money for Jacarina Cottage. I think it's around a $20,000 effort, um, which is just absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Um, Avril said in a team meeting the other week, um, we're, a, we're a small church who do big things. And that is a testimony to... Um, what was happening yesterday, when you look around, we've got 100, 120 people, um, many from not um, part of our gathered church community here on a Sunday, there to be people and proponents of God's mission um, as we are part of it here. And that is no small thing. It is no small amount of money. The impact of that fundraising effort um, will be enormous for Jacaranda Cottage and the work they're doing in um, seeing young lives, young girls' lives transformed through Jacaranda Cottage is just phenomenal. So thank you for being um, a part of it, for sponsoring people. I think I'm $13 short of the $1,000 target that we had. Um, And so if you've got a spare 13, just so I can say we hit our target, then come and speak to me. Otherwise, I'll donate it to myself. That's fine as well. Um, so, all good. Um, I did enjoy yesterday. I ran with Rocky. Rocky's our uh, nearly 11-year-old boy, and I was expecting that he would make it to about the three-kilometer mark and want to go back for bacon and eggs. And I was relying on him, actually, to be um, doing that um, because that's what actually I wanted to be doing at the three-kilometer mark was go back for bacon and eggs. However, we kept pushing on, and there was moments there where he'd grab onto my shirt and he'd pull me back a little bit and said, Dad, can we just walk for a bit? Can we just walk for a bit? I said, son, it's all in the head, mate. Oh, but Dad, I've got a stitch. I've got a stitch. Can we walk for a bit? Nah, it's in your head, son. Push on one foot in front of the other. Oh, Dad, my knee. I said, son, it's in your head. Push on one foot in front of the other. And we hit the 4K mark and we hit the 4.5K mark and he's just about ready to give up. And so was I. Hot, sweaty. I had the stitch thing going on. You know, it was like... You know, it's not, this, this, this body wasn't built for running, you know what I'm saying. Um, anyway, I, I said to him at one particular point, I said, bud, this race is going to get a whole lot easier when you start seeing the other people who are ahead of us um, turning around and coming back. Because I can tell you now, they're gonna, the first thing that everyone is going to say is, keep going, you're almost there. You're doing a great job. And sure enough, if you were one of the runners on the track and you had people who were in front of you um, who had turned around and were coming back, that's exactly what you heard. Come on, you're doing a great job. You're almost there. One more corner or two more corners. You guys are awesome. You're going great. And it really made me realize the importance of voice of encouragement on your track of life and the value and importance of um, what it means to be God's gathered people even together on a Sunday morning. Um, Because sometimes I run with a stitch Sometimes I've got a bit of a sore knee in my life, metaphorically. Sometimes I need to feel like as I am running that there are people, and I know there are people who are ahead of me on the track of faith, and the track of life, and the track of parenting, in the track of leadership. And I need your voices, and we need each other's voices as we run. 
And um, we made the 10Ks. Rocky made the entire 10. I couldn't believe, well, 9.4, 9.7Ks um, or whatever the case was. Anyway, we'll call it 10 because it's a big number and that was a big achievement for a little fella. And um, we ran the whole thing. And um, I wouldn't have been able to. I don't think Rocky would have been able to without the encouraging voices around him. And so church, continue to be an encouraging church. If I could, um, that, w- that would be point number one this morning if I had to... Um, pre-message or pre-preach while I'm actually waiting for the Lord to give me the preach-preach. That's it. Be an encouraging voice in one another's lives because we all know that we need it, right? Good. Uh, I'm finishing out our series called Movements. And uh, this has been a six-week series as we have looked um, at the book of Acts thematically. And we have looked at um, what was true of God's church as Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and the movements which began a result of the outpouring of the Spirit, a movement of resilience, movement of power, movement of prayer, a movement of radical inclusivity, a, a movement of inclusive Jesus communities. And this morning, I'm going to finish out um, this series with a movement of mission. And I'm going to do a little bit of storytelling things. I'm going to do a little bit of teachy things. I'm going to do a little bit of preachy things and finish with a couple of encouragement things. And so there's four kind of parts where we're going this morning. I'm going to tell a couple of stories and I'm going to teach a little bit and then a few points of preaching of the word and then um, leave you with some practical application encouragement um, as you are part of a movement of mission. The mission is one of those words that gets thrown around churches like everybody knows what it means. But what do we actually mean by the word mission? I mean, the word itself conjures up all kinds of meaning. It may um, spark something in your mind of Um, Tom Cruise playing Ethan in the Mission Impossible movies. This is your mission if you choose to accept it, to infiltrate the archives of the Kremlin. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. He throws the glasses off and kaboom, it all goes. And the word mission could mean an important assignment. You know, I've got a mission for you. This is a really important assignment. It could be a meaningful task. It could be a purpose. It could, even in your mind, the word mission conjure up um, a calling. You know, somebody's called to mission. It could be, in your mind, a role of somebody in the church, the, the missions pastor or the, the missions team. You know, it could uh, come up in your mind a giving program or a short-term holiday with a purpose. If I was to ask you, what do we mean when we say mission in church, I wonder what your response would be. I mean, maybe just take a moment and think about it. When you hear the word mission, what comes to mind? When I was a kid, there was a couple in the church that I grew up in um, who left the the tree-lined streets of sunny Bangor and uh, moved to Africa. They were the missionaries. And how did I know that they were the missionaries? We had a magnet on the fridge with their faces that said, pray for us. They were the missionaries. You may have had some of your own. And every so often when we said grace at dinner time, mum and dad would remind us, come on kids, we need to pray 
for the missionaries. And every so often, we would pray for the missionaries. God bless the missionaries. Amen. And so I, and maybe you, grew up with a framework of thinking that mission was for the one or two people um, in a church who went to live in faraway places to help people or tell them about Jesus or a combination of both. As I understood it, mission was for people who had their faces on fridge magnets and whose calling was to stare at you every time you reached for the milk and the juice and to make you feel guilty for not actually praying for them. Maybe you have a similar experience. Maybe mission for you is something that you see as selected for the chosen few. Maybe that mission is for people who um, can handle eating weird things and living in weird places. Or maybe mission is just for the evangelists among the church. Or mission is just for the pastors. Or mission is just for the people who have a social justice bent. Or mission is just for people who is somebody not like me. As I grew older, my perspective of mission began to broaden. In fact, it was when I began coming to this church as a fresh-faced 18-year-old that my eyes were widened to see a much broader view of what this word mission actually meant. I remember hearing Jen speak about the persecuted church and her travels into Brazil and into Colombia. I remember hearing Brooke Stewart preach week in and week out so passionately about reaching the lost. I remember hearing Bredo sharing uh, week in and week out about his um, experience as a chaplain to the New South Wales um, Police Service and the incredible support he was to police in incredibly traumatic times and the impact that he had as someone on mission in that environment. I began to hear stories that reformed my view of what mission actually was. And more than that, hearing more than just hearing stories, I began to find myself in a, in a story of mission of my own. And so it wasn't long before I found myself in crazy places as part of a church that concerned itself with this thing called mission. Jen took me to Colombia when I was 19. Uh, at that point, Colombia was listed as the world's most dangerous country. At one point in our travels, we came to a roadblock. We're in a minibus, about eight or nine of us. My best mate, John O'Nash, was with us. and um, he's, a, he's a big burly fella, and I normally can rely on him to be a pillar of strength if I'm feeling a little bit weak. I can just look to John and I knew that everything would be okay. But we got to this one particular roadblock, and we were met um, with um, men armed with AR-15 assault rifles. And they pulled us out one by one off the bus, and they asked for our passports on the way out. And when you travel, you don't part with your passport, right? Especially to a guy in camos holding an assault rifle, but you've got no option. So handing over passports as we kind of one by one get off the bus. And then these uh, men separated um, the females from the males. And I looked at Jono and normally who would be a pillar of strength had an incredible look of worry on his face. Um, and I thought this is a pretty serious piece of situation right now. Um, I looked at Jen and the colour was running from her face, probably wondering how on earth she's going to explain to my parents um, that I was shot on the side of the road um, by a member of an armed guerrilla gang. 
And um, anyway, at, at this point, um, I decided that I would get out my video camera. Um, I thought, if I'm going to die, I might as well film it. <laughs> so I grabbed my, my video camera and I've looked at the footage um, two night, uh, yesterday. I, I opened up just to refresh my memory and, and you know, I've got the footage of being put up against the bus with a guy with an assault rifle pointed my direction and holding the video camera above my head just in case. <laughs> anyway, it all ended um, well in that situation. Um, but we were there to meet with young teenagers who had been forcibly recruited um, into the illegally armed groups to fight the drugs and the arms war across Latin America and young people who had escaped or been rescued and we were there to sit and to pray with them and to encourage them and to hear their stories. Not too long after this, I ended up um, doing some Bible smuggling trips into China. Um, incredible experience going uh, to Hong Kong where you can um, have and own Bibles and then just over the border where you cannot. And we spent uh, weeks on end daily receiving our next mission where we would get told we need to get on this flight at this time and then catch that ferry and then that train. And you're going to meet someone on the platform um, by the third pillar, um, big, big thing here. And here's a photo of it. Um, you can't talk to the person. You're just going to give them the bag and you are going to um, pray just um, not for them, but as you leave, that God's word would be spread across China as a result of this person receiving the word of God. And so we would do that. Um, and, you know, as Jesus um, prayed as he walked the earth, Lord, I pray that you would um, open the eyes of the blind. We would be praying, God, um, would you please blind um, the seeing eyes as we walked through customs? And um, every time he would, you know, we would just be praying because you have to still put every time we crossed into mainland China onto the conveyor belt, bags literally just stacked full of Bibles. And we would send them through the scanners and we would just be praying, God, just shut their eyes, just shut their eyes, just shut their eyes. And time after time after time, he proved himself faithful, except for one. We did get arrested at, um, at one airport and we got um, put into isolation. They stripped us down, they searched our stuff, they took the Bibles and um, sent us on our merry way after about five or six hours of questioning and all the rest of it. Um, so a bit of, bit of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. Since then, being part of what God has been doing in and through this church has been um, incredible. The 10 years of running the Frog Crew alongside uh, Brooke, seeing Kingsway Community Care um, begin, emerge, develop, uh, being and seeing a part of uh, what Jacaranda Cottage has done over the years as Chrissy and as Mel and as so many others have led the charge at Jacaranda. Platform 9. Incredible work that we see through there. Uh, Southern Cross Kids, um, the work that Avril and Meikle have been doing through Southern Cross Kids and the kids club that was run here for so long. Seeing what God has been doing through scripture in schools, our mission to kids and youth. It has been absolutely incredible. And I know for a fact that the tales of mission that could be told from each one of your lives as you go about your daily life in your workplaces, in your schools, wherever the case might be, that they would be absolutely rich and deep and full of the faithfulness and goodness and power of God. I mean, if you were here on Mother's Day and you had, were part of experience, the panel that Jess led of Donna and Nicole and Ruth and Mel and hearing what God had been doing through the women's lives in our community, absolutely fascinatingly, wonderfully encouraging that God is on the move. God has been and is at work in powerful ways to see his kingdom come on earth 
in every nook and cranny where we as a church community have our hands to look more like heaven more and more each day. However, what I've come to learn, though, through my experiences and through your experiences, uh, through studying mission, through studying the Word, is that mission does not begin with a program. Mission does not begin with an overseas trip, a moment of encounter, or even addressing a local or social justice issue. Mission begins with God. It's who he is. God is a God of mission. God is a God of purpose. God is a God of intent. That mission doesn't begin with our ideas, but with God himself. So I'm going to give you just a quick overview, I guess, a mandate of mission, a biblical mandate of mission. That the beginning point of mission is not our good intentions, regardless of how holy they are, nor does mission begin with a program, regardless how, how, how innovative they are. God himself is the beginning point of mission in our lives and in the church. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, and this is it, and a friend gave me this 11 years ago, and I keep it on my desk, and I read it regularly. It is an entire book on the hermeneutic of mission and the grand narrative of Scripture. If you want to read it, go and buy your own. You're not taking mine. Uh, but things like this, church, grab your hands on some great theological, biblical scholarship and read it. It is good for the soul. And I'll refer to this book a couple of times. The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. Get it and read it. It's heavy, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. He says this, Mission, while it is inescapably involves us in planning and action, it is not primarily a matter of our activity or our initiative. Mission from the point of view of our human endeavor means the committed participation of God's people in the purposes of God for the redemption of the whole of creation. The mission is God's, and the marvel is that God invites us to join in. And there is a miracle right there, that God would choose you and I, regardless of how well we are doing, how wealthy or not we may be, what kind of life circumstances that we might find ourselves in, what kind of any situation that we might be in, God uses us to be committed participants in the purposes of him to see the whole of creation redeemed and restored. Over the last five weeks, as we said, we've been looking thematically at the book of Acts and how the movements that began when the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church. And while it's certainly true that when the Holy Spirit poured out his life upon the believers and upon the church, that they were brought to life, that the church was animated with the power and the presence of God for the purpose of filling the Great Commission. However, God's mission itself did not start in Acts, but in Genesis. You know, mission wasn't just the invention of the early church. Mission began in Genesis. From the outset, the God revealed to us in Scripture is a personal, purposeful, and goal-oriented God. We see in the creation story a God of mission. He works toward a goal. He completes that goal with satisfaction. He rests and he is content with the result. We also see in the promise of God to Abraham that God is eternally committed to mission. Uh, to his mission of the blessing of nations through the activity of the people of Abraham. 
We see in this that God chose from the outset to never work independently of people. He has always involved people in his mission. The Bible itself is a grand story. The entire narrative from beginning to end is a grand story of God's mission. It begins with his purpose of God in creation. It moves on to the conflict and the problem generated by human rebellion against that purpose. And then it spends most of its narrative journey working out God's redemptive plan as it is played out in human history. And eventually it finishes beyond its, the horizon of its own history with a future hope of new creation. We see this mission outworked through God's people. The nation of Israel, as God frees his people from captivity in Egypt, he shapes them into a people destined to reflect his nature and his character to the world. They get it wrong plenty of times. They worship other gods. They build idols. They choose for themselves corrupt kings. They pursue wealth and not God. They break the moral and ethical codes laid down for their protection. Yet God continues, in spite of their imperfection, to use them to bring a voice of hope and restoration to the nations. And then we see God's mission continue in Jesus. We see it in creation. We see it in Israel. We see it through the kings. And we see God's mission through the prophets. And then we see, as the Bible develops its story, That God's mission continues in Jesus. He arrived in the midst of Israel. A people longing for redemption. People who were saturated with the scriptures, sustained by memory and hope. People waiting for God. And as Jesus walked the dusty roads of earth, he loved, he included, and he forgave, and he healed He embodied the mission of the Father to restore Israel to God and be the agent of God's salvation, reaching to the very ends of the earth. Jesus was clear in his mission that it was the Father's mission. And we know that the mission of God found its climax in the obedience of Jesus to the Father, even to death, for God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So the biblical story is a four-point narrative. Creation, fall, redemption, and future hope. And this whole worldview is predicated on the affirmation that there is one God at work in the universe, one God at work in human history, and that this God has a goal, a purpose, a mission that will ultimately be accomplished by the power of God's word for the glory of God's name. A mission carried by Israel, a mission embodied by Jesus, a mission transferred by Jesus, and here we are today, seeing the mission carried on in the early church in the book of Acts. And not only that, here we are today as God's plan A for working out his mission of redemption and reconciliation and the proclamation of Jesus to all of the nations See, after Jesus rose from the dead, the very last words he spoke, it is if you've got the red uh, letters, the red words in your Bible, the Jesus bits, the bits where he was talking in first person, this was his very last, as Dr. Luke records it. He says this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise again from the dead, and that the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed 
to his, in, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He says, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you. And then we know that Jesus goes and he dies, and he rises again, he appears um, over many times and many days to people and then he ascends into heaven and then there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And we see in Acts that the promise come to fruition, that the Holy Spirit is poured out and, the, and God's movement of mission in the world gathers a whole new head of steam. We see the church form. We see communities begin to gather around the Word of God. We see people gathering in homes to take communion together, to welcome strangers and travelers and foreigners into their home. We see people gathering for fellowship, for morning tea and for coffee. We see, we see churches gathering to pray together for the needs of the emerging churches around the place. We see the gospel continue time after time after time after time remain central to the message of what was happening. We see the radical salvation of non-Jewish people. We see the outpouring of God's Spirit on people who were unexpected to be recipients of the goodness and grace of God's Spirit upon them. Thus, nonetheless, God in His infinite wisdom and power decided that He would not have one group of people reserved just uh, for his goodness, but for the entirety of the world. And so he poured out his spirit upon them too. We see the gospel as promised, moving from Jerusalem out to Samaria and then on to Judea and then out to the very ends of the earth. We see the spirit poured out on Gentiles. We see the church equipped. We see the presence of God become central to everything. We see partnerships between churches and people forming. And we see the incredible courage of people responding to the nudges of the Holy Spirit as they went about their daily lives with incredible courage. See, these are no longer the days of one chosen nation. These are not the days of kings or judges or the prophets. These are not the days of Jesus walking on earth. These are the days of the Spirit and the church. These are the days in which we live. You and I filled with the presence of the risen Christ to fulfill the mission of God on earth. If you have been wondering why you are here, if you are wondering why God has given you breath in your lungs and a beat in your heart, it is that, to partner with him in his mission for the world. If you are looking for a mission statement, if you are looking for a vision for your life, to partner with God in his mission in the world. Wright says this in his book, it's not so much a case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church, the church was made for mission, God's mission. And so in this post-Christian, even post-COVID moment, where people are questioning the validity of the church and its place in their lives. I think it's because over the years, church has become about us and our mission and what we like and what our preferences are. 
and not necessarily from a well-formed understanding of the centrality of the church in God's mission to save and redeem the world. Now, I'm not just a proponent of one type of church. I know we've got one expression of it here in what we do. There are so many different forms and beautiful ways that God's people gather around the world. Um, But there is always a place for church in the life of a believer. You know, when I hear I don't need church to be a Christian, yeah, that's true. But how much of what God wants to achieve in his mission of the world are we missing out on when we fail to partner with what God's doing among his people? The church is central to what God is doing. Not one particular style or method of it, but the church, the gathered people of God who gather for the word, who gather for prayer, who gather for communion, who gather for fellowship as we see the spirit and the presence of God poured out upon the church. So to summarize, there is twofold biblical mandate of mission that shapes our worldview. One, God is a God of and on mission. The mission is his. And two, we are called to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. And so with the time that we have left today, I'm not going to drill down into one particular passage of scripture in the book of Acts, um, but I want to take a look from a high level view and speak to five attributes of a church that is effective for God's mission. They're not going to be long. Five attributes of a church that is effective for God's mission. And I believe that these attributes, they are um, transferable to any, what any gathered expression of God's church might look like. Whether it's an enormous church or whether it's a tiny church, whether it's a church that meets in a room like this or in a house, whether it's a church that meets under a tree or in a coffee shop, whether it's a church that is of thousands or a church that is of tens. I believe that these five aspects of a church are true of an effective church on God's mission. And one is this, a unified church. If you're taking notes, these are the five things you you might feel free to write down there. Number one, a unified church. The theme of unity throughout the book of Acts is incredibly strong. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 1, they were all gathered in the upper room, and the word tells us, in one accord in prayer, the men with the women, unified. In Acts 2.42, the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. When Peter and John were released uh, from their first trial before the temple council, in the, uh, the church all gathered together in Acts 4.24 and lifted their voices together to God. A unified church in worship. Acts 4.32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul to the point where sharing resources and giving to the needy was a new normal among them. Now, I believe that a church that is unified is a church that will be multiplied. And so I ask the question, what does unity look like? I look at the scriptures. And when the church prays, we lend our faith and we join in. When the church worships, we join our voice to the chorus. Mine's terrible, but I still sing. When the church gathers, we gather in faith and expectation. When the church gives, we all give. When the church remembers Christ in communion, we remember that everybody is welcome. When church starts, we all get there on time. (laughs) 
I did write this after that. Punctuality is an act of love. Yeah. Think on that. Punctuality. And I'm not just talking about being at church. I'm just thinking about life, right? You organize a meeting with somebody. Punctuality is an act of love. Hmm. Number two. A church effective for God's mission is a gospel-centric church. A gospel-centric church. In Acts 3, the lame beggar is healed and everyone stares in wonder. Oh, how did this happen? And Peter says, why do you wonder at this as if we did this by our own power? This is the work of Jesus, the author of life who you denied and delivered over to be killed by God, raised him from the dead. Repent and turn back so your sins can be blotted out. Acts 4, Peter and John are dragged before the council again, who were at that point greatly annoyed that they were preaching the gospel. So what did they do while they were before their accusers? They preached the gospel. It is Jesus who did this, they said. There is salvation in nobody else. Acts 6 and 7, Stephen is going about the place, full of grace and power, doing wonders and signs among the people. The religious leaders take him captive and devised a plan to have him murdered for blasphemy. And right before they buried him up to his waist and killed him, throwing stones at him, he gave it to them right between the eyes from start to finish, from Genesis to Jesus, from Abraham to the cross. He preached the gospel. And I believe the founding fathers of our faith did not spill their blood, nor any martyr since, for the gospel to be tamed and domesticated to a palatable, non-confrontational, watery, all paths lead to God kind of gospel. The life, message, death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins was and always should be the centre of the church. Number three, that a church effective for God's mission is a presence-soaked church. A presence-soaked church. Church, what I see in Acts and what made them effective in God's mission is that they were daily soaked in the presence of God. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there is a distinct decision by God to show how the world encountered Him. No longer was God housed in arcs or in temples, or no longer was He present just in rituals but in the hearts and lives of everyday people who choose to follow him that is wonderful news for people like you and I that God's dwelling place the place of God's presence is not an outer external separate from us experience but the Holy Spirit making his dwelling within us we are already chosen to be soaked by God on his behalf He made that decision. See, whether it was that Pentecost moment in the upper room, whether it was as they were walking the streets of Jerusalem, whether there was disciples standing before the courts, whether there was a gathered group of believers praying in homes, whether there were people sitting on rooftops receiving visions from the Holy Spirit, whether um, it was sitting in a chariot um, with an Ethiopian eunuch on the way to Gaza, whether it was being chained between two soldiers or locked in a prison cell, whether it was sailing between islands or cities or whether in temples or in tempests of raging storms, the presence of God came in power upon them and enabled them to overcome. 
The presence of God enabled them to hold on to hope. The presence of God enabled them to have strength. The presence of God enabled them to be bold. It enabled them to heal people. It enabled them to preach the gospel. Being on God's mission without God's presence is like owning a Rolex you bought in Bali. It might work for a little while, but it won't take long for things to break down and become dysfunctional. We need the genuine, fair dinky die, true blue presence of God to fill, sustain, and empower us in everything we do. Mission without the presence is just secular progressivism. Mission without God's presence. It's just pushing another progressive agenda. We need God's presence. Without God's presence, we have nothing. We need to be filled and immersed and soaked and aware of and ever-present in God's presence. Fourthly, a church that is effective on God's mission is a partnering church. What we see in Acts and more widely in the New Testament is a church that partners with others. And as we know, the church, as the church, we are a body with many parts, and that is not just true of this room full of people who are different parts of the body. This is true of the global church. No one church can do everything or be everywhere or meet every need or fight for every cause. A church only in Antioch would not do. A church only in Ephesus would not be able to fulfill God's mission. A church only in Corinth or in Rome or in Galatia or in Athens would not suffice. As the gospel spread, so too did the need for more and more expressions of Jesus' communities to arise and work together to fulfill God's mission. New churches should neither surprise us nor scare us. But the way that local churches often fail to partner together should. God will continue to birth new ways to share the gospel, to bring about justice and to care for the poor. Our job is to build partnerships with those around us and abroad for the sake of God's mission. And this is why our beyond giving is so important. As we, we recognize that we can't be the ones that serve the persecuted church around the world, but open doors can. We, aren't, we, aren't, we haven't got the capacity to go and reach the communities of Janali and Como and Sutherland and around there, but Sea Change can. We'll partner with them. We realize that we, as just a group of people in this room, we, we can't house all of the homeless and people um, who are coming out of uh, violent, abusive relationships. We just us in this room can't do that, but um, under all of the work that Kingsway Care is, we can. We can have a great impact when we partner with Kingsway Care. You know, I, I know that personally I can't uh, be someone who um, sees young lives um, of girls restored, but I know that Jacaranda Cottage can. You know, our partnerships, the way that we partner with other people in God's mission is imperative to the effectiveness of what God is doing through us, that we would partner with other people to see God's mission on earth unfold. And fifthly, what I see as a church that is effective for God's mission is a courageous church. And we see it in Acts, just about every turn of the page. Incredible stories of courage. 
whether it's the courage to speak up for the gospel, the courage to pray when the situation seemed impossible, the courage to pray for somebody's healing, the courage to hold on to the promises of God, the courage to be part of a community of diverse and different people, the courage to face death, the courage to go to new places, the courage to plant new churches, the courage to obey the Spirit's leading, the courage to include women, the courage to change their plans, the courage to work hard, the courage to sacrifice, and be generous we see it all in the early church for the sake of the gospel i believe now more than ever god is relying on his church to be courageous to set aside comfort to set aside idols to set aside offense to set aside the building of personal empires and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and so to draw these five points down to a personal level of application. Here are my five pastoral encouragements and challenges for you to take away this week. And you can open a note on your phone and you can reflect and you can write these down and you can reflect on them. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up as I share these. Number one, commit yourself to unity. Show up for one another and find your part to play. It's number one. Commit yourself to unity. Show up for one another. Be the encouraging voice. Be the person on the track saying, you've got this. Parent, I know it's hard and I see that you're struggling. But you've got this. How can I pray? Show up for one another. Commit yourself to unity. Number two, and these are connected to the five points I've just made there. Keep Jesus at the center of your life. There is no greater salve to your tired soul than the gospel. Take at least a daily dose of it. Open the word. Just read again what Jesus has done on your behalf that you may know God and know life. Drink that daily. Number three, nurture a yearning to be in the presence. Find that hidden place of intimacy and go there. We preach on that a lot. Find the place, your rock, your tree, your view, your book, your candles, your bath, your music, wherever that is. Nurture a yearning to be in the presence. Number four, look for ways to work with others. Don't go it alone. We're better together. And lastly, embrace God appointments with courage. Don't cave for the sake of comfort. Stand for the mission of the King. Now, as I look back in my own life, I invite you to stand up. I can see that mission is not just for people like the ones who are on our fridge magnet. It is for people just like you and I. Mission is a way of life that I was invited into as I grew closer and deeper to God in the context of a healthy, mission-centered, mission-oriented church community. And I want to invite you to the same. I want to invite you into a way of life that reflects the nature and character of God to the world. I want to invite you to a life following Jesus, growing closer and deeper in your walk with Him in the context of a healthy, mission-oriented church. I want to invite you to find your place in His movement of mission. I want to invite you to partner with Him in what He's doing and be filled again and again and again and again by the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain and strengthen you as you courageously follow Him. That is the invitation for you this morning. So let's just pray together. Let's stand and...
If you want to receive that invitation, if you want to step toward that, being someone who is growing closer and deeper in your walk with God, somebody who um, recognizes that the mission is his and not ours, somebody that wants to partner with what God is already doing in the world, because it's amazing. I've got another sauna story. I've told some stories from sitting in the sauna at the gym. On Wednesday, there was a guy who got chatting to him and um, you know, he, he worked out pretty quick what I do and I, he asked me, what do you do for job? <laughs> Pastor, oh, no way. You know, I went to a church ages ago. I went, you know, 10 years ago, he fell from a fourth-story commercial building 20 meters onto the concrete, onto his head, onto his shoulder, broke everything, the whole, the whole thing. He said, no brain damage. And so he's still um, very functional and all of that. And um, he went to a church, he said, in the city somewhere and they prayed for him and he was back at work in three weeks. Um, that God had healed like stacks of stuff in his body um, and just received incredible healing 10 years ago. Um, he's, he's just telling me about his walk with God, you know, like, oh, it's all about him. I love, you know, just, people just don't get it, you know. Um, anyway, he, he, he ducked out for a tick and then came back and he said, do you believe in healing? I'm like, yeah, bro, uh, 100%. And he said, well, you know what, I've got, um, since then, that 10 years, I've still got one thing left. There's just something in my back that hasn't gone away for the 10 years. Would you mind praying for me? Um, and so again, two sweaty guys in their Reg Grundies in the sauna. Um, again, praying one eye open, seeing who's going to walk around the corner and think what the heck's going on here. Just put my hand on his back and with no f- fancy words, Lord, I, I've seen you heal in this hot box before and I um, believe that you can do it again. I ask in Jesus' name that your back, this back would be healed. And um, he just does a little bit of the shuffle and he goes out and he has a shower and he comes back and he says, it feels like it's brand new again. And I just went, you know what, I'm not surprised. You know, praise God that in the moments where we follow him and are just obedient in our daily walk as his mission is being outworked as we partner with him, it is a wonderful life. Not an easy life. Not a life that is guaranteed to be full of beds of roses and champagne unicorns and rainbows. We know it's difficult. But there is an invitation for you to partner with what God is doing in the world. And I can guarantee you this, that we will see heaven come more and more each day on earth like it is in the heavenly realms when we partner with God and what he's doing in the world. That is what mission is and we are all called to it, all of us. So Father, I pray right now that we would receive that invitation in our own ways and I know that's going to look different for every, every person, but Father, I pray just in this moment of response that we would give our yes to you in a new and different way. Father, fill our hearts. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh in Jesus' name. Fall upon your church in power. Fill us with courage. And Father, I pray that we would continue to be a church on your mission in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.